Welcome to EWA's FinLit Podcast. EWA is a fee-only RIA based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We hope all listeners of this podcast will benefit as we deep dive into uh, complex financial topics that we will make simplified for you. And we hope that this really serves as a catalyst so that you can make the best financial planning decisions uh, for your family and also save time. This week's episode of the FinLip AWA podcast, Ben and I are going to go through um, some tips for switching jobs if you're in open enrollment for your company's benefits and some other things that you need to be aware of and have a heavy focus on health insurance and different types of health insurance plans and how we advise clients. Um, so Ben, give us just a high level overview of what should someone think about when they're switching jobs? Yeah. A uh, couple important notes that we're going to hit on that are important to consider when you're switching jobs. We're going to hit on health insurance plans, what you should think about when you're enrolling in your new one, what type of insurances are provided by your new employer, whether that's life insurance, disability insurance, dental insurance, vision insurance, et cetera. Um, discussing how your new retirement plan is going to work and how that can be coordinated with what you were doing from a retirement plan at your old job and then how you're compensated if there are any stock options, grants, RSUs, ESPPs, things of that nature, uh, among other things. This is a, something that needs to be taken a lot of care of. Um, using all of your old benefits while you have them at your old employer, while at the same time making sure that you're making the correct selections uh, in your new employer. Yeah, so I'd say in summary, understand the benefits booklet of the company you're leaving and then understand the benefits booklet of the company that you're going to. And let's dive in. The first thing and, and probably the most important to be aware of is health insurance. Um, and so this will be a good guide whether you are just in, about to hit open enrollment. Generally, it's in the fall. So as we're recording this, approaching the fall of 2023 um, at your current company or you're making a switch. So just high-level overview of health insurance can be pretty complicated, hard to understand. Um, it's also also constantly changing. So the Affordable Care Act that was passed in 2010 made a lot of changes to health insurance and big high level summary of that basically mandate everyone has health insurance. You can stay on your parents' plan until the age of 26, um, which is important to know. And it basically made it so that you couldn't get declined health insurance or pre-existing conditions. So all of those are just important facts now, but let's take a dive into if you're analyzing your health insurance plan. I think it's, again, complicated topic. We're going to go through a couple just key terms to know as you're reading through this. But Ben, what is like, what's a health insurance premium? Yeah. So just a premium in general is just the amount paid in exchange for the actual coverage that you're receiving. Generally speaking, this is on a, a monthly basis. Um, depending on what type of plan you have dictates how expensive or how inexpensive that, that premium is. Okay. And it's also based on age. And then if you use tobacco can be a big indicator too, but yeah, premium, just like car insurance, you know, what are you paying for the actual policy? And then deductible, the deductible is the amount that the insured has to pay before the insurance company starts to contribute to the cost. Right. So we'll talk through specifics. There's high deductible, low deductible, generally a lower deductible, meaning let's say that that deductible is for sake of example, a thousand dollars. Ben, if this was your your health insurance plan, you'd have to pay $1,000 before the insurance company's going to start paying. So if there's a lower deductible, it's going to be a higher monthly premium. If there's a higher deductible, it's going to be a lower monthly premium. Um, and then generally, like preventative care, annual checkups, vaccinations, things are 
covered regardless. You don't have to hit the deductible. There could be a copay, but um, deductible means what you are paying before the insurance actually kicks in. Um, and then copayment is, like I said, just basically paying for annual checkups and things like that. Um, another important thing to know is coinsurance. So generally, coinsurance means that this is the amount paid by the insurance company and the insured. So for ex example, um, if the deductible is $1,000, meaning, Ben, you pay $1,000 out of pocket, insurance company is going to start paying, and now coinsurance is going to kick in, and coinsurance is going to kick in up until the out-of-pocket maximum. So if the out-of-pocket maximum is $5,000, for the sake of this example, Ben pays $1,000. After that, the insurance, a common one is 80 80 20 so the insurance company pays 80, Ben pays 20% of any costs up to $5,000 in this example. So up to the $5,000 out of pocket max, um, Ben's paying a portion. Once Ben has paid a total of $5,000, which is the out of pocket max, he no longer has to pay anything. And then the insurance company pays everything on top of that. Um, so those are just some key terms that are important to know as you're reading your benefits booklet it can be pretty confusing. Um, and Ben, give us a high-level overview of just different types of high deductible, low deductible. What, what's the difference? What does that mean? Yeah, biggest differentiator between the high deductible and the low deductible plan is, number one, the high deductible plan, as the name suggests, higher deductible. So in turn, that generally means lower premiums, like you said before. The big, the big, why we're big proponents of a high deductible plan when it makes sense is that it allows you to have access to what's called a health savings account. Um, which we're going to dive into in a little bit more in a second. But um, the low deductible plan, as you said, lower deductible, generally speaking, higher premiums, but in return, you have no access to that health savings account. Yeah. And then another one to be aware of is a catastrophic health plan. This is generally only for um, young, healthy people, but you basically, it could be, let's say a, a high deductible plan is like $3,000 deductible, low deductible plan is 1000 A catastrophic plan could be 10000 Meaning, you know, if you're in your 20s, you're healthy, you're buying insurance, you'd be really cheap. And it's basically just going to cover any like surgeries, any huge medical expenses and assuming that you're not going to you know, need care all the time. Um, and so those are basically the three, three concepts, high deductible, low deductible, and then catastrophic plan. Um, we already hit on this, but the open enrollment generally is in uh, October, November for the following year. You can also enroll if there is a... Um, qualifying like life-changing events so job loss um if you turn 26 and you get kicked off your parents plan um certain things that you qualify for that allows you to switch so, and so, and so that, that, that's important so that allows you to switch outside of your open enrollment period you have that 90-day window um so you don't have to wait until the fall if one of those things happen yeah exactly well give us high level overview then on health savings plan then so again you have to be on a high deductible plan to have this what is a health savings plan how do we use it in planning? How's it beneficial? Yeah, so a health savings account is essentially an account that you can contribute to as well as your employer. If you're a family, that limit is seventy-seven fifty a year, and if you're single, it's thirty-seven fifty. Um, we like to say that a health savings account is, is triple tax advantage. So contributions to a health savings account are pre-tax, so you get a tax deduction the year in which you make those contributions. All of the growth inside of a health savings account is completely tax-free. And then if you distribute money from a health savings account, as long as it's used to pay for qualified medical expenses, all those distributions are tax-free. So those are three separate 
tax advantages. It's it's one of the most tax efficient accounts that you could possibly be invested in or possibly be having a, as a part of your financial plan. And like you said, the big caveat is you have to be on a high deductible health plan to be eligible for one. Um, and, and, and those expenses, when you do pull them out, in order to get those tax advantages, they have to be used for, for qualified medical expenses. Um, yeah, and one important note is these can be invested in funds, mutual funds, ETF stocks, and all the growth is tax-free. And like you said, if it's pulled out for qualifying health expenses, tax-free. So where this makes a lot of sense, if you're a high-income earner, that seventy-seven fifty that you put in is fully tax deductible, so you could save thirty-seven percent. Um, and so that tax benefit, again, if you're in the high tax bracket, generally will make up for paying the higher deductible. So you have a lower monthly premium, you'll have a higher deductible that you may pay out of pocket. But most times when we analyze this, that makes more sense to take that deduction um, versus paying paying less, paying more for a lower lower deductible insurance plan. Um, but this is also important to note, this is not use it or lose it. So this carries over forever versus a health a, fl- or a flexible spending account, which we'll talk about in a second, is use it or lose it. And most people forget to invest this. It has to have $1,000 over, it has to have more than $1,000 to not just be in cash and actually invest it. So important to note to go and invest it. And our general rule of thumb, if you are a high income earner and you're maximizing this account, um, max it out every year don't use it for your health expenses. Just let it accumulate tax-free, pay for medical expenses from cash, and then you can use this down the road when you are in retirement, when obviously health, when medical expenses are much more expensive. Um, but anything else to add on the HSA? Yeah, and I just think, I, I mean, that, that's that's exactly my philosophy and, 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 and everything that we think about here is, again, if you're in that 37% tax bracket, you max out at seventy-seven fifty. If you're a family to the HSA, it's almost a three thousand dollars tax savings just off the bat in one year. If you continue to do that every year, generally that makes sense and makes up for, like you said, that higher deductible that you're subject to. But at the same time, you're you're getting a three thousand dollars tax savings every year. You can make the contribution, assuming you're in the thirty-seven percent bracket. Exactly. Um, yeah, it depends on age, health, tax. There's a lot of variables here, so. Um, depends specifically on your situation. But another important account is a flexible spending account. So this is, um, you get a tax deduction on the contributions. For 2023, the max that can go in there is $3,050 per year. This must be used for qualifying expenses, and these are expenses that are not covered by health insurance. One of the big benefits of this is a lot of times it can be used for daycare or childcare. So if you put $3,000 in, take the full tax deduction, you have to use it in that calendar year and again, childcare, which can be a big expense, is a, is a big benefit that could get you some tax benefits on that $3,000. But important to note with these accounts, they are use it or lose it. So if you don't use that benefit, you put the money in, you don't get that money back at the end of the year. So what you, important to note what you put in there, make sure you use it. it. can be tax beneficial, but again, just make sure that you use it that year. Yeah, if you know you're spending 3000 on daycare, generally this makes a ton of sense, especially if you're in a high tax bracket, it's 37%. Savings on three thousand, call yeah. it thousand dollars of, yeah. of, of tax savings. If you know you're going to use the daycare in the calendar year, yeah, exactly. So this now, now the question we hear all the time: which health insurance plan should I choose? Um, this depends on age, health, tax bracket, financial plan, etc. Um, generally speaking, if you're young and healthy, 
makes more sense to pay less for the monthly premium beyond the higher deductible plan. If you need more care, you're, um, you know, you go to the doctor, you're expecting more health insurance costs, maybe you get that lower deductible so that it kicks in quicker. But again, generally when we analyze this, if you're a high income earner, um, and you're taking that full tax deduction on the, the HSA and you're able to max it out, um, the high deductible plan makes the most sense in most cases. Um, Another thing to note, if you have a husband, wife, and kids, again, this is situation-specific, but a lot of times when we've analyzed this, it makes sense to each each be on your own health insurance plan, and then one of you claim the kids and make sure at least one of you are on the, the high-deductible plan to max out the HSA. Um, so again, a lot of this is situation-specific, specific to your financial plan, um, important to do a full review of your of your benefits if you're leaving your job or your current job or you're in the open enrollment um, and consult an expert that can uh, answer questions, give you advice. But but anything to add on health insurance? No, I think it's a important topic to consider, especially as these life events happen. If you lose your job, if you turn 26, it's something that you need to be considering. And then again, the high deductible plan versus the low deductible plan, your situation is going to dictate which plan makes the most sense for you. Um, but ultimately it's an important decision that, that you need to put some time into. Absolutely. So we're going to go through a couple of other things to be aware of just with benefits in general. And then also, um, if you're switching jobs, what you should be aware of. So Ben, let's talk about employer life insurance. So this is life insurance that your employer gives you, or you can purchase through your employer. Give us a high level overview. What do you get um, what are the pros or the cons? Yeah, generally speaking, employer-sponsored life insurance is anywhere from one to three times your base salary. Um, so if you're if you're earning you know two hundred fifty thousand and you're you're at two x salary, you have five hundred thousand dollars of death benefit coverage. Generally speaking, this is term insurance, so it is um, coverage for again a certain period of time. It's not any sort of permanent coverage that would stay with you um, for an extended period of time outside of that that term. And if you ever left your job, generally speaking, that death benefit that you had at your, at your current employer does not leave you to your new employer. So um, a couple considerations, again, a lot of the group insurance plans that we've analyzed, their rates are based on the um, almost the population as a whole or the employer as a whole. They're based on the group. That correct, correct. So if you're you know, super young, super healthy, you could get the same amount of life insurance coverage less expensive from an individual carrier than you would be in the group carrier because, again, the group carrier is taking everyone's uh, health and age into consideration. So if there's a lot of like older people in the group and you're young and healthy, yeah, you could be overpaying for it. Um, and so one thing to note though with this is they cannot decline you for pre-existing conditions. So if you have a something where you don't qualify or your outside health insurance is more expensive, makes sense to purchase as much as possible through your employer. Um, one key thing that you said that I want to reiterate is most times, again, there are exceptions, most times, even if you purchase above that 1x or 3x the salary, whatever it is, and you switch jobs, you don't take that with you. Um, so big thing to look at is what's the cost? Can I take this with me if I ever switch jobs? And a lot of times it makes sense to, when we're advising clients, take the one times the salary. And unless there's a pre-existing condition, just go buy the health, the, the life insurance outside so that you own it and it's yours if you ever switch jobs. Again, there are 
some caveats to this if there's health conditions at age, et cetera. Um, but let's now talk yeah, about just yeah, to put ahead. it to, to, to put a bow on that. And one thing that I just want to reiterate is it's so important to make sure that again, this is a situation specific, but having coverage outside of your employer, a lot of people will, will speak to say, I have, I have life insurance through my employer. It's fine. Again, that coverage doesn't generally isn't portable. So if you take another job 15, 20 years down the road, your health has changed, you're older, and maybe that job doesn't have the same benefits that you had in your previous job. So then you say, okay, well, now I'm going to apply for life insurance. Well, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get the rates that you had previously. It's not a guarantee that you're going to get coverage from an independent carrier as a whole. So um, you don't want to be stuck at a job strictly because it has the benefits you need. And if you, if you hate the job for its work-life balance or for whatever reason, it's not a reason to stay just because of the benefits. So we don't want to be solely reliant on what we have through, through our employer. Yeah, that's so important. I've seen so many examples of that where um, health changes and people feel tied to the company for the benefits and they're worried that if they go try to switch or you know, go get their own, it doesn't, they can't get it. Um, okay, well, yeah, thanks for, for sharing that. Ben and I actually did a whole other podcast on um, risk management planning for young professionals, young families. So if you want to go watch that, I don't know what number episode it is, but it's probably one of the first like five or 10 episodes. Um, we'll, we take a deep dive into life and disability insurance outside of your employer stuff. So disability insurance, this is also extremely important, especially if you're a high income earner, if you're a physician, uh, let's say for example, you've spent a lot of money, you spent a lot of time, you spent a lot of energy going through medical school, going through training, and all of a sudden now you're making a big income, you probably have some student loans. Um, disability insurance basically just ensures that income, make sure that like if something happens to you physically and you can't work, you can't practice as a doctor, again, it's sticking to this example, that that paycheck comes in no matter what. So what you need to know about disability insurance with your employer um, they will offer some for free. Generally, most of the times it's 60% of your salary. If you're a high income earner, that's going to, there's going to be a cap on that at some point could be anywhere from like 10,000 to like 20,000 a month. Just depends on the plan. Um, but that, that payout that the, that the um, employer is going to buy for you is taxable because when the employer purchases that plan, they take a tax deduction on it. And then when it pays out to you, it gets taxes income. So you'll get 60, let's say you're making half a million bucks, that 60% would pay out, um, what's some math on that, like 300,000-ish, and then you pay taxes on it. So if you're used to half a million income after taxes, you're probably paying, you know, you're probably like 200,000 of income. You're under half of, of what you're used to. So what's important about this, some group plans have a cap on the benefit. They may only pay out for two years. Um, and so we generally want to, purchase additional insurance coverage on top of that. Again, if you're like a doctor, you've gone to school to do what you do, you're very specialized, even if you're outside of being a doctor, it's important to protect that income. So um, sometimes you can buy additional coverage through your employer, but again, similar stuff with life insurance. If you leave, you may not be able to take it with you. Um, the rate's not going to be based it may not be based specifically on you. So generally, if you're a high-income earner, just get some supplemental coverage outside of that. Um, and then a tip specifically if you're switching jobs, understand what you have, your your current employer, maybe you're a high-income earner, um, and they're capped at, at 20000 a month. 
so you, you have you know you have this this pretty significant benefit, and the new job is capped at ten thousand a month. That's a ten thousand dollar a month gap that you may now need to make up for with your own additional um, policy, whether that's adding to your current one or just buying a new one in general. Um, anything to add on disability insurance? Yeah, I would say questions to think about if you're taking a new job with regards to disability insurance. Number one, is my employer paying for it? So are the benefits going to be taxable when, if and when I do get disabled? What is my elimination period or waiting period? So generally this is 90 days. That's how long it takes for you to be disabled before the benefits actually kick in. So if you're, if you, if you don't, if you don't research this and it's, you you think it's 90 days, but it's actually 180 days, you know, that's another three months without disability benefits that you were maybe planning for. So understanding when the benefits actually kick in, who is paying for it, and then how much are you actually covered? Generally speaking, it's 60% of your base salary, but it could be more, it could be less. And then how is your bonus covered through disability insurance? You know, is it just off your base salary? Are your bonuses protected as well? Those would be things that I would want to make sure are confirmed before and and during that kind of open enrollment period. Two other notes I just thought of as you said that. So number one, a group policy is probably not own occupation specific because it's going to take, just like the life insurance, it's going to take the group as a whole. So if you're a specialized surgeon, they could be pulling in like everybody at the hospital, which would be a lot of non-specialized surgeons. So it may not be own occupation, occupational specific. The other thing we'll hit on quickly is short-term disability insurance. People always ask us, should I purchase this? Sometimes they'll give it to you for free. General rule of thumb, especially if you're a high income earner, you don't need to buy it because if we have, if we're planning properly, you have, we have six months of liquidity always available, whether it's through cash or just liquid investments. Um, And most of the time that will we'll have enough, we'll be planning appropriately to have enough to, to give you or have an emergency fund set aside that you wouldn't need that short-term disability to yeah. kick in. And just to take a step back, short-term disability would pay from day one up until long-term disability kicks in. Usually so, a day third, day, usually there's like a month. But yeah. yeah, so it, it would be that, very soon. that short-term, very, very short-term period, and then there's generally long-term will kick in after 90 days or 180 days, yeah. depending on the policy. Now, if you're, again, to your elimination period, if your disability insurance doesn't kick in for 360 days, which is a whole year you have to be disabled, then, yeah, maybe that's a different conversation. But all these things you need to need to think about um, and an understanding when you're switching jobs. But we'll hit on quickly dental and vision insurance. We're not going to get into a ton of detail here. It's usually really cheap, like could be like $5 a month. Um, so makes sense to enroll it. Enroll in it usually covers like catastrophic dental or vision, anything extreme that happens. Um, okay. So last two are now going to be more focused on your retirement plan, equity compensation. So Ben with a 401k plan, switching jobs or enrolling in, let's say, um, maybe you started a new job and you're waiting a year. There's a year waiting period to enroll. So somebody's going to enroll in a new 401k plan. What do we need to know? Yeah. So a couple things. And before we get into that, it's just you're switching jobs and you just have your old 401k, it's sitting there, so there's a couple things you can do with it. Number one, you could cash it out. We would generally not advise doing that. Money taken out of a 401k before you're 59 and a half is subject to ordinary income tax and a 10% penalty. So generally speaking, don't recommend cashing out of 401k. I say generally speaking, but very rarely, I mean, (laughs) 0.0001% chance. Um, Some employers will allow you to roll your 401k into your new 401k, again, 
that's plan specific. Depends on if, if they allow you to do that. Um, or you can roll it into uh, an IRA. So if it's a pre-tax 401k, you can roll it tax-free, penalty-free into your traditional IRA, wherever that is held. If there's a Roth portion inside that 401k, that can be rolled, again, tax and penalty-free into your Roth IRA, wherever that is held. So generally speaking, that's the that's the avenue that, that we, we advise. Um, you have a lot more control over how the money can be invested, and you have a lot more autonomy as to what you can do with the money if it's held in an IRA, um, as opposed to just kept in its old 401k plan. Um, but yeah, back to your original question of what to, what to think about with my new 401k. Number one, is there an employer match? Um, so want to make sure that we're contributing at least up to the limit to get the, f- the full employer match. You know, what is my compensation that is required to um, get that employer match? So right now in 2023, the max compensation is 330,000 that would apply to an employer match. So if you make if you make a million bucks and you have an employer match that's 3%, you're not getting the full 3% on your full million dollar compensation. You only get it on the 330,000 that is the maximum allowable income dictated by the IRS in 2023. Um, I would look at what your 401k options are specifically, so Generally speaking, you'll have a traditional pre-tax 401k that allows for pre-tax contributions. Most plans now allow what are called Roth 401k contributions, so a totally separate bucket inside of your 401k that allows for Roth or post-tax contributions. Um, And we can get into that a little bit more in a second. Um, And then another thing that I would want to make sure is if you plan on maxing out your 401k, Right now, if you're under the age of 50, the 402G limit is 22,500. If you're over the age of 50, it's 30,000. The, the, your old 401k and your new 401k aren't gonna talk to each other. So let's say you contributed $10,000 to your old 401k, and then a couple months you, you switch jobs and it's like spring of the year and you enroll in your new 401k and you set it up to max out. The new 401k is not going to know that you already contributed the 10,000 to your old 401k. And again, you only have 22,500 to contribute for a year if you're under the age of 50. So always want to make sure that you understand how much you actually contributed to your old 401k so you don't over contribute and get subject to any sort of penalty or filing requirement. Yeah. So always get your last pay stub before you leave the job. It's going to tell you that. Review it. Make sure you're, you don't over contribute. That was, um, couldn't agree more. A couple things to add. Number one, if you're moving to an IRA, which most of the time you should, um, you would have the option to do a Roth conversion, which may make a ton of sense. Let's say you're, um, I'll give two examples. Number one, let's say you're like a resident physician you, you um, are done with the residency, you have an old 401k, and now you're going to sign, your, you know, you're about to start in your first year as an attending, um, residency or fellowship, getting into attending, you're getting a huge pay increase. You may finish up training in like July, and now let's say you go from making 50000 a year to 500000 a year, your tax bracket is going through the roof, you're going way up to the top of the tax brackets. Um, so you would have that year where you make that transition, you have that, you know, half a year of fifty thousand of income, which is twenty five thousand. Maybe you have a fourth of the year of that five hundred thousand of income. That is going to be the lowest tax year of your life. So convert the IRA to Roth at the low tax brackets because you're never going to be in that low of a tax bracket again. So that's one example. Or two, you know, maybe you're like an executive at a company. In same situation, you're getting, you're, you know, usually you're switching a job for a reason. You probably got a huge pay raise. 
hopefully. Um, and so same thing could, could apply. You could be in a higher tax bracket in the future, especially if you're switching mid-year. So you could do a Roth conversion to take advantage of being in the low tax bracket before you switch. And then another thing to note, um, totally agree with you, get the match. Maxing it out depends on situation. If you're high income earner, obviously usually makes sense to max out your 401k, but target date funds, we have a lot of content on this, um, videos, blogs, but most of the time, actually all the time, don't recommend a target date fund. Um, a lot of reasons, but yeah, it's more, more advantageous to be in a, uh, portfolio that you construct specifically for your situation versus just like a blanket target date fund. I don't want to, I go down a rabbit hole there. So we'll just camera doesn't have that much battery. (laughs) So we got to, we'll speak, we'll speak high level, just avoid the target date funds (laughs) when you're enrolling. Um, okay. Well, the last one, last one, we're going to talk about equity compensation. So this could be, um, these are just in general, very confusing. Um, if you have restricted stock, restricted stock units, employee stock purchase plan, non-qualified stock options, they're confusing, they're complicated. Um, and so it's important if you're switching jobs, be aware of your grant, get a copy of your grant agreement, which you hopefully you've already reviewed, um, know the vesting schedule. So if like the stuff's vesting over five years and you're going to leave in year three, figure out how much you're leaving on the table, negotiate that into the new contract, whether it's a, um, bonus up front to buy out of the stock options or with stock options or RSUs through them. Um, that's the first thing, understand what you're giving up if you have this. The second thing is if you have stock options, you have generally like 90 days to exercise them if you switch jobs. So be aware of, you know, do you have some that you still need to exercise in that window? And then the employee stock purchase plan, separate from both of these, you're able to purchase stock at a discount usually somewhere between like 10 to 15 percent-ish. Um, and so that could make sense if you have that option enrolling it, you're purchasing the stock at a discount, you're immediately getting a benefit, you pay some taxes on it, but then you could just reinvest it into like a diversified portfolio. Um, but it's important just understand if you're leaving a company with equity compensation, understand the details. If you're going to a company with new equity compensation, understand the details and make sure you don't leave um, leave anything on the table when you're doing this strategically. But anything to chime in there? Yeah, I think that all goes into the what should I be doing before I leave yeah. bucket. So there's a couple other kind of things to, to think about before you leave your old employer and you start your new job. Number one, use any benefits that are use or lose it. So you kind of went in that in the stock options, understanding what you're leaving on the table and negotiating that in your new job. But if you have dental insurance and you're going to a job that doesn't provide it, make sure to book an appointment yeah. while you're on your on your plan that allows it. If you have money in, a, in an FSA, for example, and you're moving to a an employer that won't sponsor it or allow you to contribute, make sure that those receipts get filed and you actually spend the money that's in the FSA on those qualified expenses. Double check your federal tax withholding. So you mentioned on your pay stub, you'll see your year-to-date 401k contributions. You also see year-to-date what has been withheld for federal taxes from your previous employer and make sure that that number is used in your calculation when you're setting your new withholding percentages at your new company. Um, Because ultimately, we want to make sure that that is in line and you're not expecting to owe a a huge additional liability, nor are you expecting to receive a a super large refund. We kind of want that number to be as close to zero as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, if you are switching jobs or you're 
enrolling even at your current job in an open enrollment period you know make sure you um, analyze all this stuff educate yourself consult an expert ask the right questions um, you know you could end up leaving a lot of a lot of money on the table if not done correctly but we have a blog written on this and some other video content so if you know go go ahead and reference that on our website uwa-llc.com um, and yeah we appreciate a five-star review on this podcast tell your friends tell everybody else to listen to it if they're going through a job change and we will uh, catch you next week on the, the next episode Thanks for tuning in to uh, our podcast. Hopefully you found this helpful. Really hope this is as beneficial and impactful to as many people uh, across the nation as possible. So hit the follow button. Uh, Make sure to rate the podcast and please share uh, with any friends or family members that would also find this beneficial. Thank you very much.